This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome, everybody, brothers and sisters. Good to see everybody again for the Christchurch Bible study of the last words of Moses, where we're continuing to wrestle with the fifth book of the Torah, which, even though it is part of what we call the Pentateuch, really is a commentary on the first four books. And we've been studying uh, Moses giving his last final speech, the longest monologue in the entire Bible, as he prepares the Israelites to go into the Promised Land, uh, begin the conquest, and how they're supposed to set up uh, the kingdom uh, and how they're uh, supposed to behave as a nation, particularly a light to the nations. And we've been looking at what Moses says and also what he doesn't say. And there's always a learning curve uh, in Hebrew, uh, in, in Hebrew exegesis on what is not said, which is just as important about what is. And so we'll begin uh, in the good Christian tradition, which is with prayer. Okay. Uh, so, brother... Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a great king above all gods, that you spoke the universe into being, yet, Father, you, you delight to come and share with us insights from the, from the scriptures. So, Father, we pray that you would honor us by your presence and guide us by your spirit this evening, that we may see wondrous things out of your law. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so usually our tradition is uh, we um, go over the last week's um, notes of our discussion, and um, I do try and write down things that we say so I can include them. So last week we wrestled in chapter 11 with verses 1 to 12, and here is a summary of essentially what we said and what Moses is saying. Love is not a matter left to impulse or feelings. Love is actually a commandment from God. We are to love God irrespective of personal emotional feelings that hinge on chemical reactions or human relationships. Love is a choice and it is not relegated to whether we had too much chocolate or had a fight with our work colleagues. This command from the lips of Moses also reveals what God really wants from us, to love God and to keep his requirements. He could have commanded countless other things from us, but for God, the priority is love from his creation. Note that in Revelation 2 verse 4, the complaint God has against the church in Ephesus is that they have actually lost their first love. Once again, we note that love is also linked to obedience. Love me and keep my commandments. Verses 2 to 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 11 produce the longest single sentence in the Hebrew Bible. God is speaking to the people, particularly the generation that saw the works of the Lord, so the, the older one. Those that saw the deeds of the Lord should know and remember the acts of power over their enemies, the acts of power of preservation of Israel in the wilderness, and the acts of power of God 
to deal with rebellion from within the community. History, that is the history that we have, is usually about what man has done and his achievements. But sacred history is about what God has done. And in verse 6, Moses mentions the rebellion of Datan and Aviram. So he singles those guys out by name, who come from the tribe of Reuben. The incident ending in their households being swallowed up by the earth. But there's a person who's not mentioned. Moses does not mention Korah, despite an entire Torah portion being named after him to this present day. In the book of Numbers, Korah is also part of the leadership involved in the rebellion. Korah was a Levite and thus had actual duties attached to the ministry of the tabernacle. Remember the discussion is uh, everybody should be able to go and minister in the tabernacle. Korah already could. However, Datan and Aviram, they are Reubenites. They did not have duties in the tabernacle. Their rebellion is therefore more acute than that of Korah. Perhaps Moses is noting this in his omission of Korah, or perhaps he is being kind to the sons of Korah, who as Levites continue to minister in the tabernacle, and they produce psalms and songs of worship, and also who actually might be standing close within the tabernacle precincts as Moses speaks. We're not sure, but he leaves Korah out, which is the question, why does he do that? Moses concludes this long sentence by stating that because you are the generation that saw, therefore you should be the generation that does. See what God has done and therefore obey. Remembering the acts of God in our lives remains important for all generations. So we always remember what God has done in our lives and we often share what God has done in our lives with, with everybody. And it should prompt us to follow his teachings. We shouldn't just talk about God, about what he's done in our lives and then ignore him. It should prompt us into obedience. Obedience brings blessing. And in this case, in, in Moses' uh, talk, it brings long life in the land. The land of promise was before them. And it is again described as a land of milk and honey, a land of pastures and agriculture. The land is then described as a land not like Egypt, the land of false gods and the land of captivity. Nature operates differently within Israel. In the promised land, the earth drinks water from heaven. While in the desert, the Israelites had partaken of the bread of heaven. Now they came to a place where heaven continued to hold influence over the prosperity of the earth below it. Water from heaven is ceremonially clean and it is uncontaminated by, the, by touching the impurity of man. How else would you water a land that God cares for? Here is another tension and the truth of the character of God. God so loves the whole world, yes? but he also cares for this specific land. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, and yet Moses declares that the eyes of the Lord to be continually on this land from the beginning of, of the year until the end of the year. Psalm 34 and First Peter also reflect this tension when they say, 
The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. This is not inferring that God does not see the actions of the wicked because other verses will note that the face of God is against the wicked. Rather, the positive aspect of the close attention of God towards those he loves and the land he cares for is the point. God's blessing, God's protection, and God's instructions are more prevalent in the land and on his special mountain and amongst his holy people. So that's a, a summary from our discussion on the first 12 verses. Now, uh, what we'll do is uh, we will read, um, I think we're up to 13. So I'll read for the sake of the recording, 13 to the end, okay? All right, so Deuteronomy 11, um, going at uh, verses 13 to the end. And I'm reading in a NIV, so forgive me. So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle and you will eat and you will be satisfied. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And then the Lord's anger will burn against you. You will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is giving you. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. If you carefully observe all the, these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean. No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, westward, toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Moray, 
in the territory of those Canaanites living in the Arava in the vicinity of Gilgal. You are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land the land the Lord your God is giving you. And when you have taken it over and are living there, be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws I am setting before you today. All right, so that's our portion uh, for, for tonight. Is there anything that jumps out initially? I know we did this last week, but... Um. Interesting, the, uh, the idea of, in verse 26, to see, re, yeah. and um, it's interesting, the whole, you know, the whole idea is, is a blessing, if you know you're blessed, you get the land, and everything will go well with you, but they, they're not in the land, they're not seeing the land, so it's when the Lord, your God, brings you in, so they're not able to see, but this reminds me of Abraham, um, you know, the Lord called him out, and he also was not able to see. Uh, but he, he, he saw it. He had the vision. He walked it. He went there and he, and he saw the land in contrast to the spies that went actually into the land. Technically they saw it and they said, Oh, it's just exactly how you said it would be. But there was no spiritual vision on the land. There was no, they didn't see, you know, the vision in their hearts. So it's yeah. interesting. The concept of the sight. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. What you see physically and what you see spiritually are not always the same. Sometimes they can be. But on that point, Aaron, I'm reminded of when Jesus said, you know, there are those who have seen me. After his resurrection, he, he met up with his disciples. And talking to Thomas, he says, you see me, therefore believe. But blessed are those who have not seen me and still believe. Yes. There's a special blessing for them. Special blessing for those, yes, the not seeing or the seeing only in a spiritual sense. And, uh, yeah, and you can see with the, with the spies particularly that two of them come back, saw exactly the same as everybody else and said, we can take them. They saw something else. Yeah. There's so much you can do with seeing Ephesians um, one one eighteen, you know, having the eyes of the heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called. So it's it is really that spiritual vision. Sure. Yeah. I'm always struck every time I read these sections um, with the size of the land. Which you look at it, you and we'll get to it, and you go, they've never possessed this size territory. Um, so, so, and, and then when they finally get in the land of Israel and they divvy up to the 12 tribes, it doesn't look anything like this, um, which has always struck me as like, well, what is this? What does this mean? You know, do you have, do you have high ideals? Uh, are, are you supposed to engage in, you know, uh, expansionist nationalism? Uh, like what do you just relegate this to the future? Uh, uh, and, and wait till the Messiah comes. Like, what do you do with these kinds of kinds of things? Um, because it causes all kinds of problems. <laughs> but anyway, we can deal with those when they when they get there. All right. Okay. So, looking at um, verse thirteen, Moses once again 
uh, in the, obviously the in speaking for the Lord, um, desires that the children of Israel faithfully with, with Emunah, that they're going to faithfully obey uh, the commands that he is giving you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And uh, this is very reminiscent of the Shema. In fact, this little portion is also attached as the second part of the Shema. And, uh, and so we're instructed to love God both with heart and with soul because actually God also has a heart and a soul and being made in his image. God demands love and it's always linked with uh, obedience. And then this obedience is going to bring something. And one might say if you're a good little, you know, um, Protestant Christian, loving God, it'll bring salvation. You'll get uh, to heaven. Here, what does it bring? Rain. Rain, okay, which is this, again, this sort of interesting component. We talked a little bit about it um, uh, last year, uh, last week, last year, my gosh, that was a long week, people. Okay, so the, the prosperity of Israel is actually linked to their obedience, which is closely linked to their heart and their soul and their love of the Lord. I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains. And then so you can gather all your crops. So God, Moses, deliberately reminds the people, always tells them where they're from, that they're not originally from here, you're originally from Egypt. And the land of Egypt, well, you all remember it, it is not like the land you're about to go to. So what was different about the land of Egypt? How did the land of Egypt get its uh, uh, food supply? Through the annual flooding of the Nile. Yeah, so they had this um, hydrological, geological water feature um, which every, every year produced this flooding. And they, they were clever. They would channel um, the water away and they would store it and the water would then become quite stank. But you would, you would keep it and then you would um, tread on it and, and mush it into the ground and plant your rices and crops and wheat and things. Um, and, but it would have a, a heavy contact with, with, with humans. Humans are always walking around, slushing around in this water. But if you had um, always had access to water, you had a very successful empire. Empires were based on water and food. If you could feed your people, you could have lots of people. And if you could have lots of people, you could have a big army. And if you had a big army, you could take over everybody else. But the, the, the kernel, the actual start of everything, had to be water. That's how you had empires. And so all empires in history all had a dependable, constant, annual water supply. And it was not linked to whether they were good or bad. Whether the Egyptians believed in the real God, whether they sacrificed their children to, to false gods, it doesn't really matter how good or how bad they were, they would always get water. But Israel, God's land, is not like that. Where does God's water come from? That comes from heaven, right? And so you have no control over it. It's going to have to be released from the Lord. And it has no contact with humans. 
So the, the earth drinks it and it is pure, which is, of course, going to be exactly the way you would expect a holy land to behave. It would never touch the impurity of a human. Um, it, would, it would come from, um, from heaven itself. And in, in, in the first half of the chapter, God says, you're going to go to this land. It's a great land because it drinks water from heaven. Okay, great. He doesn't turn around then and say, oh, by the way, but you only get it if you're good. He doesn't. Aaron? Yeah. Um, I have a question that's kind of remotely related to this, not exactly. But I've heard messages where God doesn't count time for Israel until they're in obedience. In other words, the time that they were in exile out of the land, not obeying the Lord, et cetera, et cetera, he doesn't count time. He only starts counting prophetic time when they're in the land and in obedience. Okay, where did you hear but that? Like Perry Stone, Perry Stone talks about this kind of thing. Perry Stone, okay. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just curious what your take on something like that in relation Haven't to haven't thought about it. Going to be honest, not actually thought about it. <laughs> So um, I have to. I have to. Do you have an article that you could send me on that? I'm sorry. Do you have an article that you could send me on that that I could have a look? Yeah, I can. I can find something. Yeah. yeah so I, I, at the moment, I don't. I don't um, have a comment because I'm not 100 sure where where uh, he's getting his sources from. Um, it's an interesting thought. Um, I can. I can say when it comes to time. God's timing and my timing or our timing certainly are not the same thing, right? I mean, for the, the children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years, right? And every generation when they were slaves, they weren't slaves at the start, but when they did become slaves would cry out for freedom. And they didn't get it. They lived and they died as slaves. And then the next generation cried out for freedom and, um, and, and nothing happened. And yet eventually God brings them out and he says, you know, I do things swiftly. Okay. <laughs> um, tell that to the, the, the 10 generations that died and, and, and nothing happened. God's idea of time and our idea of time are, are obviously two different things. And I'll, when it comes to who's correct, I'm going to go with God. So... I'm not 100% sure how we would relate time other than to, to have God decide when things happen. Here, on the annual cycle of water, God is making it attached to our morality. He's desired love from his people. He could have asked for anything else, but he's desired people to, to love him. Love is going to be linked to obedience. And so... If they are loving and if they are obedient, then this water from heaven's going to come. It's going to be a very special water and it's going to uh, uh, saturate the land. And they will get grass, they will get wine, they will get olive oil. Aaron, can I just add a little side thought on that in connection with what is, we reasonably understand as the discipline of the Lord through withholding rain. Now, this is a story I tell when I'm sat in Tel Dan up in the north. And I start by explaining to people, if you read the Revelation chapter 7, the 12 tribes of Israel, there's one tribe missing. Yeah. Because Joseph has a double portion, so one must be missing. And it's the tribe of Dan. So how did 
Dan not make the cut. So the, um, my take on this is there's about four major reasons why they didn't, that the tribe of Dan didn't make it through to the end. Firstly, they, they took someone else's land, largely. Um, but the, the main reason I want to point out here is that they were settled in a place which had a permanent water supply, and it was the furthest from Jerusalem of all the other tribes. Hmm. And therefore, when the Lord brings the discipline, for example, under the ministry of Elijah, no, no rain except by his word for three and a half years. And it brings the country to their knees. I mean, literally, really. And, and the showdown is on Mount Carmel, and we know the story. Yeah. But the point is that the tribe of Dan were very comfortable, thank you very much. They had a permanent water supply, they had a really fruitful land, and they were a long way from Jerusalem. And on top of it, they, they were the worst place for institutionalized idolatry. And the discipline of the Lord could never cut through that because they were so self-sufficient. Anyway, that's it. Yes, God, God reminds Israel that um, when they were in the desert, they were dependent on the Lord. Right? They, they, they would get this bread from heaven and it would be a daily, a daily dependence and then the blessing of the Sabbath with the double portion. Uh, and he, he constantly says when you go into the land and you start having houses you didn't build and crops you didn't plant, you might forget to be dependent upon the Lord. But I don't want you to forget to be dependent. And so there's this, there's this constant um, uh, thrust of Moses. Please remember where you came from. And please remember the dependency you felt in the wilderness and bring that with you. Um, it's not to say that success or blessing is bad. The Bible doesn't say that. A blessing from the Lord is a blessing from the Lord. It's going to be good. But there, there is always this... Um, temperaments that come to you. There's always this warning that says, be careful, lest you start thinking that uh, you're no longer dependent upon the Lord. And as you're saying, yeah, brother, Dan, Dan had some issues when they stopped being dependent upon the Lord. And yeah. Western society is much the same. You could characterize it as the snare of comfortable living. Yes. 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 I, I probably should have mentioned that. I, I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago. It was on uh, where Jesus uh, command, he, sa he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And he asked the Jewish question, why? Why are the laborers few? Why is no one going out into the harvest? The harvest is so big, and everyone agrees the harvest is so big. What's stopping us from going out? And, and a fair bit of it is we've become very comfortable. Thank you very much. We've become very successful and uh, we've got nice houses now. We've got beautiful communities and glorious churches. Um, there's no need to go out anymore. And uh, we'll pay somebody else to do it. Uh, and there's not many of them. And so the, Jesus says, pray, pray that I'll send some more because uh, we, we all want it. I noticed one other thing is that... Um, the, the first part of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, the U's in that are singular, and here, uh, very similar words, they've changed to a plural. plural. So it, it seems like first Moses is calling them for individual commitments, and now he's calling them to a communal commitment, and then the communal commitment's going to be tied to this communal reign that they will or won't get. 
Excellent. Yes. So there's this individual responsibility that we have for the Lord, to love the Lord, to our God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. And there might be some individual blessings and protections and things, and you can see it in the text. Certain families, sometimes certain houses, would get an extra blessing from the Lord. Widows would get jars of oil that didn't run out and, and things like that. Um, but there's always also the community aspect. And um, I think, I can't remember now, when a couple, a couple of weeks ago, David also <laughs> preached a sermon on that, you know, this sort of idea that the community is also a witness. When Yeshua says, you're going to be my witnesses, he's, he's not just talking to a bunch of individuals running around, he's also talking about the group. And you can see it here, Moses is saying the same thing. Well done, good, excellent. You guys, as plural, need to love me with all your heart and soul. And as a community, you're going to receive the blessing on a national perspective. The land and you are now in a relationship. You and the land are going to have a special relationship. One, uh, it's, it's, it's an inheritance. You're my inheritance. The land is your inheritance. And your relationship to that land is also going to bless the land. And parts of uh, uh, Leviticus... Are, are very interesting when it discusses various sins that the Lord doesn't want us to do. Should we fail to obey and actually engage in sin, particularly lots of sexual immorality, um, the, uh, God says in Leviticus, I think it's uh, 18 or 16, the land will, will kick you out. Not me, the land. The land actually wants water from heaven. And if you ain't going to be able to be good enough so that it can get it, trust me, it'll kick you out because it, it wants to drink. And uh, so there's this interesting symbolic relationship that Israel has uh, with, with the land. Um, and it's, I guess it's interesting for me to look at Israel today and to notice that the land is very fertile um, and uh, it grows a, a lots of food. I wouldn't say we're all obeying the Lord 100% right now. Um, se several cities really got to clean their act up. Um, and, and, but there is this incredible forgiveness and mercy of the Lord. Uh, that, and, and, when the, and when the land does drink its water from heaven, oh, my gosh, it responds. It, it turns, the desert turns green. It's, an, it's just incredible to see. The, the fields are incredibly fertile. We export food left, right, and center, and it all tastes unbelievably good. Do the cucumbers not taste good in this city? Yes, they do. Um, that's pretty special. Okay, so the warning in verse 16 from the Lord. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Which god would he be in particular thinking about? Any ideas? Baal. Molech? Yes. Baal. Yeah. Molech's this other guy who shows up and does a horrible thing. But Baal was the big one of the Canaanite religion. And what, what was his characteristic? What was he lord of? Does anyone know? Uh, he was a storm god and the god of the mountains. Yeah. And the, the sort of god of the rainfall as well. Correct. Storm, mountains, and rain. Okay. And of course, God has a special mountain. God brings rain. And God is in, in, in charge of all of the deep seas and, and 
and so this uh, and, and and also thunders. So this is this is like a, a, a the opposite God around, mm-hmm. and uh, Israel was enticed to worship it. You would go into the land and you would say, "Boy, we need some rain. Um, we better worship the God of the rain." And they became Baal Baal worshippers. Here, Moses is warning them. Don't do this, okay? You're going to be enticed. There's something sinister and attractive about the narrative of the local storm god, the local god that can bring you rain, the local thing that can bring you a blessing. There's things in our society that are also just as subtle, just as attractive, just as powerful that... We, that, th- that we think can bring us a blessing, that we think um, that we actually need for protection. And we'll be prepared to surrender that. Okay? Uh, and uh, you can see it in our societies today as we're giving up all kinds of uh, things for the economy, for uh, security. You know, our, our, our economy and, and welfare should come from the Lord. Our security should come from the Lord. But we, we will surrender things to, to the false gods of these, these age uh, because it's attractive and it's enticing. The warning is when we get into the land and we... Uh, Aaron, can I just give another little side thought on that about the god of rain? Um, re- recalling again the showdown on Mount Carmel with Elijah... Uh, basically, it's, it's good to understand this as this for Elijah was an away fixture. Basically, yeah. in two big senses, this was, Baal was on home ground. He was it's on a mountain and he, it was, they were calling on him to provide rain, which was allegedly his speciality. Yeah. And so, so uh, uh, Elijah is playing an away fixture, and, um, but he wins. And how? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, the concept of, you know, storm and mountain, and, and that's so, that's also the Lord. Uh, you know, God is the God of the mountains, and we see many of the big feats he's done on mountains. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's interesting because Israel, the, most of the population today is actually on the sea, it's on the, on the coast. That's and right. they, in a sense, lost the mountains. It's so sad. I know they're trying to reclaim, but they're called, you know, settle, settlements that uh, they were on the mountains and lost the mountains. And well, it's, a, yes. it's just a little sad. Mm-hmm. Well, Aaron, can I, can I have a little bit talking? Yeah. <laughs> I want to uh, emphasize on the word Baal. Baal in Hebrew means the owner, yeah. the ownership. So since the uh, Mesopotamia, when the human being fell, uh, invented all kinds of gods, which is from nature, not the author and the creator of the nature. Yeah. And this yeah. is the whole book against the Israelites. They turn to worship, not the source, but the owners of the, mus- uh, the principality of the evil, which owns the heaven and the earth, all fell. So it is very interesting that in Mount Kamel, in the Israel, it's called the land of honey, where you have a rainfall, predictable, rich, healthy. You can do everything over there. You can be successful. So people turn 
to that direction. And they are blind unto the holy God, that he is the one that sent the water. He is the one of everything. And this is why Elijah was so angry. Yeah. He just, you know, turned over the altar. He just wanted to, you know, fight with them. So the 400, uh, 450 false prophets, the Ahab, the king of Israel, he was so, my goodness, he would just go rebellious. He just totally blind. He did such a stupid things. He does. So Elijah cannot take it away. He just have to fight for this, for the righteousness, the initiator of all things, which is the creator <laughs> himself. Baal, nothing. He just own portion of the rain. He is nothing at all. I really like this part of history. Israel, the whole book is talking about Israel go rebellious against God. It's the heart issue. The spirit was wrong, totally wrong, covered by the devil. Everything, everything about what Moses is trying to say here is to bring it back right. to the heart. Right. And that, and that right. encounter, that, that, that battle at Mount Carmel, right. um, has so many different aspects because the false prophets are Jews. Isn't that an interesting thought? Right. And, uh, and, and <laughs> Ahab, chosen people. his name in Hebrew, Achav. Does anyone yeah. know what that means? Nacha? Achav. Nacha, you mean the river? It means Nachat. my brother is my father. Oh. Yeah. So there's also the, his, his lineage is, is incredibly corrupted as well. It's a, it's a fascinating little, little study. But we should be dependent upon the Lord, even if we are successful, even if we have a blessing from the Lord. So oh, awesome. um, how are we doing today, guys? Yeah, I mean, what, how are we doing? We're, we're quite well off, respective to our ancestors. Um, and yet, we always still want more. We always, uh, we always think that uh, we don't have enough. Um, and, but it doesn't matter what we have, we have to remember that our dependence is upon the Lord. Okay. So this idolatry will bring the wrath of God. Some of it you see at Mount Carmel, but here he's talking about the, the nation of Israel. The Lord's anger will burn against you in verse 17. Okay, it was a nice little pep talk that we're heading off into battle. Okay, the Lord's anger is going to burn against you and he will shut up the heavens and so it's not going to rain and the ground will yield no produce and you will soon perish from the good land that the Lord is giving you. I mean, that's a pretty steep um, warning. And idolatry occur, incurs the wrath of God. That's true yesterday, today, and forever. So that includes uh, today's world. So success brings the opportunity for failure. And so what's key? How do you keep uh, success in balance? It's got to be the heart. So God has a couple of commands. And um, fix these words of mine, because obviously they're incredibly important. They're going to relate to your sojourn and length of time in the land. Fix them in your hearts right? and in your minds. That's where you first put them. You first put them uh, on the more spiritual level. Amen. 
tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. This has become quite practical, as anybody who lives in Israel will notice. People walk around with all kinds of boxes and, and bits, and you know, we've got so much of the Bible splashed out on people's um, uh, doors and, and door frames. And they can get quite um, pedantic about how you, uh, you put these mezuzahs. Has everyone got a mezuzah on their house? Uh, mostly, for those, yes, yeah. And um, uh, so we have one. Uh, we didn't put it up there. It's, it's, it came with the building when you show up. And one day, you know, the Chabad, who happened to have a little synagogue just up the road, uh, were knocking on the door and uh, wanting to hand out their tracts and leaflets and <coughs> new holy water and stuff. Um, they, they took one look at the mezuzah and they said, you know, it's, it's like two degrees, just not quite right. We, we can fix that for you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you measure it? What did you do? <laughs> so, I mean, everyone's got their particular idea as to which slant it's supposed to be and how long and what words. Um, I remember uh, a great incident at Christchurch. So for those of you who know Christchurch, you know, you know, hotbed of missionary activity, obviously definitely not well liked. Uh, by most religious circles uh, in Israel, we were um, putting a mezuzah on our coffee shop door. We want people to be able to enter in, and so this is one of our gates. We will put a mezuzah. So we got ourselves a little mezuzah, and we all trumbled out there one morning, and um, we prepared to put the mezuzah up. And uh, the Jewish believer, whose name was Avi at the time, um, was about to do it and he, he stopped all of a sudden and he went, oh no, I've forgotten the prayer you're supposed to put say for the mezuzah. I just don't know. And it just so happened that there was a group of uh, Orthodox Jews walking past. And it is a mitzvah, okay, that if someone is going to bless the Lord, you must stop, you must listen to the blessing and you must join in with an amen. So they assumed we were going to say the blessing and so they patiently waiting to say amen. Looking at them, they have obviously no idea who we are, probably. And uh, we said, guys, look, we forgot, we forgot the, the, the bracha. And they said, oh, no, that's okay, we'll do it. So they, they, they drilled it in there, and uh, these Orthodox guys turned around and blessed all our mezuzahs for us, and then uh, walked off. So I always find um, little bits of irony dotting around this, this land. So the mezuzahs at Christchurch, have all are incredibly kosher, okay, just so everybody knows, and um, have been well blessed by the Orthodox. So, uh, but the first thing, heart, mind first, okay, inward, inward circumcision first does not discount outward circumcision. So you end up with these uh, tefillin and the mezuzot, okay, and. Uh, but the gener we've been talking a little bit about the generation that saw. That generation is going to die out. Uh, they're not going to always be around. So the generation that hasn't seen, the generation that hasn't witnessed the good things of the Lord is coming. What's the solution? Does God just perform another bunch of miracles? What's the solution? What does he say? Verse uh, 19. Teach your children, okay? God is engaged with his creation, yes. Doesn't mean he writes his name in the sky every day. 
when he's done something, it's incredibly important and it needs to be remembered. Subsequently, the generation that hasn't seen the good things needs to be taught. And so, that who was discussing, oh yeah, Yvonne, Brazil, you were talking about the power of seeing, this, this sort of special word. Well, 19, teach them to your children. Teach these uh, commandments to your kids. Teach the signs and wonders that the Lord has done. We didn't see any of this, but it's mm-hmm. important. How do you do it? Okay. Um, talk about them when you sit at home, right? So you don't send your kids to the Beit Midrash to turn them into good little Jews. The home turns them into good little Jews, right? We've got to, we've got to have uh, our homes are actually incredibly important to the Lord. If you're going to stick a piece of God's word on the door to your house, then the inside's got to be good too, right? It can't just be the outside, inside heart as well as the outside. So teach these to your children. Talk about them when you're at home when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Um, in, in terms of uh, rabbinic history, uh, when you lie down and when you get up, how many times do you say the Shema a day? Two. Two. Okay. When do you say it? Once in the morning and once in the evening. And they get it from this verse. Right? When, when, when are you going to – this is actually part of the Shema – but when are you going to teach the commandments? When you lie down and when you get up. And then you end up with this really bizarre discussion in the, in the Talmud between Rabbi Hillel and Shammai. You, you know these two characters? Yes? Okay, Shammai, he's the stricty, okay? He's the, you know, total, total conservative. He says you have to say the Shema when you're actually lying down, right? Because that's actually what it says. So his students... Normally, you would stand up and give an oath of loyalty to God, but, but Shammai's students would, be, would actually lie on their beds and say it um, based on a very literal interpretation of this verse, yeah. um, which I thought might be an interesting thing to actually have seen one day. Um, I'm just going to give my oath of loyalty to, to, to God and then lie on bed. Okay. So write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then comes... Um, the, the, the blessing, so that your days and the days of your children, right, the ones who have not seen any of these miracles, may be many in the land swore to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Aaron, can I just share a thought here from Proverbs? Yep. Uh, because it, it, there's a passage in Proverbs 6 and in Proverbs 7 that echoes this very closely. So, Maybe uh, if you're going to follow this, uh, this is Proverbs 6, uh, verses um, uh, 20 through to uh, 22. And he, it says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you are awake, they will talk with you. Wow. It really resonates with what Moses is saying in this passage yeah. in, in, at multiple levels. But though, I mean, coming from that, I have sympathy with those, the Jewish people who don't feel compelled to physically wear these things on their head, you know, the, the phylacteries, the tefillin on their head. And there's a little bit of an irony about it because, as I understand it, the intention is kind of metaphorically for you to 
um, for these commandments to be in your line of sight, to be in front of you all the time. Yeah. Then when you strap something on your forehead, you are probably the only person in the world who can't see them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, there's, a, there's a little irony there as well. Um, and the other thing is that, it, for example, in this passage, you do get, it, it's easy to see in this Proverbs passage that it's kind of metaphorical. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm quite happy. And again, you, you get the, um, the same idea coming through in, in the next chapter. Um, yeah, it says uh, in chapter 7, verse 1, My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. So writing on the tablet of your heart is metaphorical. So I think binding on your fingers is as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. and, um, and you get different, different sects, different uh, denominations within Jewish tradition which do different things because of that. Aaron, it, it just takes me back then to the commandments where you have to honour your father and mother as well. And how do you do that? If you honour your father and mother, your days will be long in the land as well. Yeah. So how do you, how, 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 does that, how do you actually physically honour your father and mother? Okay, that's a, that's a question, Anne. Okay, so for example, um, if I was having a discussion, and I've had this discussion uh, with a group of uh, uh, Jewish scholars, um, they would talk amongst themselves. They might say, Aaron, how do you honor your mother? And uh, I would say, okay, well, you know, my mother's not uh, young. So um, I go over on the weekends and I mow the lawn. And I take care of the garden. She, she really loves plants. Uh, so I do, I do most of the heavy lifting and I leave a few things for her to do so she feels like she's doing something. And, um, and, and I honor my mother that way. And, and so it's not a one-off, it's a continual thing. And so they, what they do is they make the commandments very practical. I'll say, how are you putting the commandments into practice? How are you fulfilling the command not to murder? Right? And, and then they use that word, fulfilling the command. So when Yeshua says, I have not come to you know, abolish the law, but to fulfill them, doesn't mean do it once and throw it away. He means to perpetually keep doing it, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into, into practice. I mean, I'm showing you the correct interpretation of these verses um, by making them practical. Uh, there's some physical way that you can do it. So that, and the one about the mother and father is, does have a blessing of long life, same as these ones. Yeah. Thank you. And the, and the mother and father are involved in the teaching uh, uh, of these commandments to the kids. Um, it, 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 our families are a creation from the Lord. They really are. And they're, mm -hmm. and they're very incredibly important. We shouldn't leave faith uh, up to the, the, the shepherds. Shepherds are important. They are. Shepherds are, shepherds are again, also an invention of the Lord, and we should pray for our shepherds. And we should desire yeah, good shepherds. He's in the business of rescuing families. You see that with the, uh, you know, Rahab and her family and yeah. Passover, you know, the families. It's, it's amazing. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Okay. My little thought on this, Anne, is that 
Uh, I'm old enough for my parents no longer to be alive, but honoring your father and your mother doesn't stop when the physical activity has to stop. It's always good to remember them by their best features and the things that made you laugh and smile and, and the things that they were great at. Those, those are what you remember them by and you continue to honor them in their memory in that way. And yeah. just ignore the, you know, the stuff that happened and, you know, the misunderstandings and things that went wrong. You don't practice recalling those, but you do practice recalling what builds, builds up their memory and honors them in your mind. And a lot of this, this, the sections we've been talking about now involve actually talking. Yes. Right? You, you can honour your parents by talking well of them and their memory. You, you can, you can honour the Lord by, by, by talking about the commandments to your children and to each other as you walk along the way. So one of the measures of our love for God, remember at the start of this chapter, God says, love the Lord your God. One of the measures of the love of God that we have is how much do you talk about him? How much are we actually talking about the Lord? Not just to our families, but to, to our spouses and to our kids and to those that are around us. Um, and if we're not talking about the Lord a lot, well, let's get in there. <laughs> So. I'm wondering too about the Shema here being, you know, like their loyalty oath with God and the visible displays on the forehead and hand reminding them of that and seeing various other places in scriptures where we have kind of similar wording, even in Revelation, you've got God's people being marked on their foreheads and then the people, yep. the mark of the beast on hand and forehead, like who are you ultimately loyal to? That's right. Best, best thing to do, shove the word of God right on your head. Right? And, uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. Loyalty to the Lord. Yeah, so that's a good topic of conversation. So, brothers and sisters, let's, let's keep a measure of, how, of our love for God by how much we talk about it. All right. Verse 22 uh, now goes back to a very physical and practical ob observation of the law. Remember, faith for God and Yeshua is always practical. It's always things you can do. It's never just esoteric. So if you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, those two are a thing, and to hold fast okay, to him, okay. um, then, verse 23, then the Lord will drive out the nations before you and dispossess nations larger and stronger than you. What's that interesting little conundrum we, we brought up last week? Does anyone remember? If you obey the Lord, then you'll be able to, then, then the Lord will drive out these nations before you. Okay? Now let's remember, God is not going to do exactly the same things that you saw in Egypt. In Egypt, God did everything. Uh, Moses and Aaron did a little bit of stuff too. And the people had to be involved in part of the process by, by obediently um, taking a lamb and putting blood on, on the, the, the doorposts. But God did all the smiting. Is God going to do all the smiting in Canaan? No. No. 
Right. So now we've got a different way that God is. Now, God is still working, but it's going to not look the same as it did in Egypt. And part of our job is to recognize that God's still doing the conquering. And we are as well, but in our actions, in our obedience, in our joining in the work of the Lord, we've got to make sure we still see God doing things. Yes? Mm -hmm. can't, don't ever, we can't come to the conclusion that we did it all by ourselves. It's the spirit within us. Yes? Okay? It's, it's, it's God. Here, what has the Lord promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? The inheritance. He's going to give you the land of Israel. Now, all of a sudden, it's linked to the obedience of the Israelites. If you're, if you're obedient, God will drive out the nations. If you're not obedient, what's the conclusion? You lose it. Yeah. And so you end up with, you get to Samuel, and who is the big enemy that just doesn't seem to want to go away? Amalek. The Philistines? The Philistines. Okay. I mean, they did it everywhere. And um, you think, hang on, uh, shouldn't we just like, march in and wipe them all out? There shouldn't be any of these guys. But, uh, but, but, but Moses was actually quite clear. Okay. Is, um, is, is, if you obey, you'll, you'll drive these nations out. And if you don't, well, they're going to hang around and cause you all kinds of problems. And then you get in verse 24 this um, you know, very rhetorical sweep of the entire Middle East. Every place where you set your foot will be yours. Oof, you don't want to say that in the United Nations today. Mm -hmm. Your territory will extend from the desert to the Lebanon, from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you. And the Lord your God, as he promised you, will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land, wherever you go. I mean, that map, it's only a couple of verses, but that map is pretty big. So who would get the territory of Lebanon? Which tribe? Asher, Asher and Naphtali. Yeah, they're the closest. Right? Yeah, Asher, if once you get to Nicra uh, up there, that's still in the tribe of Asher. Uh, but they never owned much further beyond. They certainly didn't get all the way to the Euphrates. And if they did, which tribe would you give it to? It's very interesting that you get this rhetorical sweep of the entire Middle East, and yet when you actually conquer the land, the division of the land of the tribes doesn't include any of that. It's just this little bit. Exactly what we make of that, not 100% not sure. Um, you, people will oscillate on, on several streams. There will be, there will be those um, that, uh, that will say all of this belongs to Israel and they should just have jurisdiction, okay? which will cause all kinds of problems. Right? Um, mainly because there's lots of people who are living in this, these lands right now and they probably don't want to change allegiance or currencies or, or things. Um, and most of them probably don't like Jews. So it does cause a bit of an issue. And there are others that will say, well, this is just figurative and doesn't mean anything. But it's in the text. And so you've still got to wrestle with it. Sooner or later, you've got to... to 
Um, even if you can't come to a conclusion, and that's okay. You've just got to acknowledge that uh, uh, the Lord, through Moses, is saying something quite astounding, quite amazing, quite profound, and quite mysterious. Because this, this territory that's allotted here is, is something that has never yet actually happened. Um, so you factor in the current situation where the annexation is about to occur on maybe July the 1st. Yes. How right. does that factor in with all this? Well, even if they annex, and I'm, I'm going to suspect that our, uh, uh, our politicians are notorious for not saying the truth. So regardless of what Netanyahu has actually said, I'll believe it when I see it, so to speak. He might annex a few. He might annex Gush Etzion. He might annex Ariel. He might annex Mahale Adumim. It's not very much. It's still not going to come anywhere close to this, to this territory, is it? it? It's always been very interesting to me that the boundaries of, um, let's call it biblical Israel, yep. are so much larger than what we have today. Yeah, and we, and we use the, the phrase biblical Israel um, because, uh, because it's never actually happened. <laughs> it's in the Bible, yes, but it's, it's never actually physically happened. And, um, and, the, and what's interesting is when you get to the tribal allotments, none of the tribes get these, these portions. Um, because if this is the actual true promised land of Israel, Moses has actually been in it. Right? Yeah. As soon as he got out of Egypt, he was in it. You know? So he said, Moses never went to the promised land. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he wandered all over the darn thing. You know? Um, so uh, we're not we're not 100% sure. Um how this works out or why this works out. Uh, uh, the Euphrates River plays a part in the end of Revelation. Okay? Um, yeah, it, it allows an army to, to appear. Um, we have to run to a desert okay, in, 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 in the end times. A lot of these things also occur in the future. In the future, the Lebanon has a role to play. It will flourish. It's not doing so well at the moment, but, but it'll, it'll come good um, and, and will once again um, have a good relationship um, with, with, with God. Isaiah 19 highway, okay, that, that, that creates this highway between Egypt and Assyria. You know, there's this sort of um, blending of, of nations that, that all want to worship the Lord. Um, it will be an interesting time for us to see as it happens. But I, I would suspect that because we don't 100% know when or how, it's just a case of we, we wait. Particularly those of us who are not actually Israelites, it's not actually applauded to us anyway. But, um, but it is an interesting um, thing. It is in the text. It's not going to go away. And so it just has to be acknowledged uh, that, uh, that this, that this is, is, is there. Okay. Aaron, may I ask a question? Yep. Okay. Uh, we have a war 
you know, Lebanon, I mean, uh, Golan, Syrians, and uh, this, this, this couple of days, the war is engaging, approaching. We have a plagues, okay? So we have a white horse, which is us, crisis in the, the galloping white horse is really speeding up. We have a war, which is a red horse, and the black horse, horse is the plague. And the next one will be the pale horse, which is death. How would you elaborate upon this situation with the vision, <laughs> okay. the revelation talk to us? We, okay. Jesus is a galloping white horse. So yeah. what we should do? How are we going to prepare ourselves to follow this white horse? How are we going to catch up with him? Uh, do, do you think do, this is, can be an interesting subject? Oh, man. Like, as, soon, as, soon as, as soon as you get into Revelation, it's an absolutely fantastic subject. <laughs> I, I personally like to talk about Revelation sitting around a table with a bottle of wine. Um, that, that's, my, that's my preferred, my preferred uh, approach to, to study the study of Revelation. Um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's the only book of the Bible that comes with a blessing. Uh, a bottle of wine is also a blessing. And, and somehow, there you go, make the match. But... Um, I, as, a, as not a hunt having a, I don't have the classical view of uh, I'm a prophet, I'll give all the answers. I just, I just know that I like talking about it, but I prefer not to, to even remotely say I know the whole truth or nothing but the truth. I do know this, that the rider on the white horse has already given us commands. The rider on the white horse has already revealed to us what he has required of us. And, uh, and so it's easy to actually follow that rider on the white horse. You just uh, hear, uh, hear, hear the Messiah and obey his commands. Hear his voice and do what he says. So, verse uh, 26. So, and this is the blessings and the cursings, which will occur a, a, bit, a bit later. See, I'm setting before you blessings... Uh, a blessing and a curse. So these are actually single. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, the curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from the command that I today and follow other gods which you have not known. Now that is an interesting adjective to attach to a god. Okay? Because what god would you have known? Yeah, right. right. How do you know a God? You have experience with them. Yeah, excellent. Keep, keep that trait. How do you have an experience with a God? And by his actions, the things he's done. There you go. Yes, God is constantly telling us, look at the things that I've done. We have and a... Living, and he's living in us. Correct. The, 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 the God... The, the, the God always wants to live with us. In fact, one of the beautiful phrases of, of Exodus is, build me a tabernacle. Why? I want to live because in you. He wants he want to dwell in his people. Correct. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I want to dwell in it. He says, no, I want to dwell in you. So I'm right. the, the tabernacle, the mishkan, I don't know the picture of the moment, the mishkan is like the router. Okay. Heaven connects to earth through the tabernacle and then it spreads out 
And, 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 and so God doesn't stay inside the tabernacle. He stays inside his people. Right. In the holy of the holies. The holy of holies. And, and so there is a holy of holies and there's also us. There is a tabernacle and we are the temple. There is a, it's, a, it's a gum for gum. And so here you have this blessing and this curse and it links to obedience and it links to this, these, these false idols which are not known. And there's actually no way to know them because they physically don't do anything. Like the Baal God does not bring the rain. The, the God of uh, luck, you know, lucky dice, kiss the lucky dice, does not roll you double sevens and, and you win a million dollars. These things just don't, don't happen. There are no other gods. There's no way to know them. They're false and they can't talk to you. Although Paul will, will uh, acquiesce that behind false gods are what? Demons. Demons. Right. So there is, there is a side to idolatry that's very sinister and, uh, and, and we should stay far away from that. So when the Lord your God, verse, verse 29, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land that you are entering to possess, okay, so the Lord is going to bring them in, but is he going to actually fight all the battles? I mean, no, but also no. yes. He's going to be there with them. He's going to encourage them, but the actual, but, but the actual person who fights is going to be there, going to be us. But still, the Lord is guiding and bringing in. So His hand is actually present. So the job of the Israelite, our job as followers of the Messiah, is also still to see somehow the hand of, of the Lord. When the Lord has brought you into the land you're about to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings, now into plural, and the cursing on Mount Ibal. And here you have uh, an interesting phrase, and, it, and it's a de debate whether it's actually from Moses or from a redactor. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan. Well, how would Moses know that? There is, there is, there is a way he would. Any idea how he would know that these mountains would be there? Seeing in God's spirits. Okay, one way is he, he has a, a, a spiritual experience. Right. What else? What, With God the spies? Yes, the spies. You, you actually do get a bunch of guys who come back and can actually give you a map of the place. So um, even, even the 10 spies who are, who are not good and who are false can still say, yeah, I did go up on that mountain and I can draw you a map and I can also draw you pictures of the real big guys I saw up there. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there, there is, there, there, it is possible that the children of Israel actually have the, the land of Israel already mapped out. Okay, might not be current and up to date because it's now forty years later. But, um, but the, it is possible. But it's also possible that this, this is just, this is now you're seeing Joshua's little hand um, as he's sort of putting, putting this in. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan westward. You've got the direction all planned out, but again, could be the spies. Toward the setting sun, near the great trees of Moray. Okay, so there was this idea that, you know, the, um, either the redactor has been to these trees, he's actually visited the site, and he has sat under the shade and, and, and helped pen his, his work, or the spies are reporting the agriculture of the land, and there was something that was... Um, uh, in, uh, important about these these trees. Usually, when you have trees, what's what else have you got? 
Very important in this land. An altar. Well, yeah, okay. Water. <laughs> yeah, usually once, you, once they say things like uh, such and such near the palms or such and such near the trees, it usually meant that there was a spring or some sort of nachal, some sort of water supply or some way where um, that water was, was, was coalescing so that these things could, could flourish. Uh, and these are in the territory of those Canaanites that are living in, living in the Arava. Uh, Arava, where's that? What does that actually mean? Anyone know? Arava is in Desi area. Yes, the desert. Dust. And, the yeah, from Desi, from, uh, from Desi all the way to, to Aqaba, the area. Yep. Arava. And, it, and it's, a, it's a dry, dusty place in the vicinity of right. Gil, Gilgal. Right. And uh, Gilgal is, um, these are names that you give after you've invaded. Okay. So most Gilgal actually is a Hebrew name. Most likely it is not the name that the Canaanites gave it. Okay. This is something that uh, uh, you also see this throughout the Bible, and it's okay, it doesn't turn the Bible into not the word of God, um, where uh, cities get renamed. As, as the Bible is copied, then as new names are developed and new names are, are thought of, uh, they, they become overwritten. Um, you are about to cross the Jordan to enter and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so the Lord, the Lord is giving the land. Why is he giving the land? What are some because of the he reasons? promised he would. He, he promised, promised he would. He promised he would. So he swore an oath. Why, why else is he giving the land? So it's they not can by settle. Their own efforts. Okay. They can settle and bear fruits of a descendants of faith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the text, like how are they going to possess the land because of their obedience. obedience? Okay. So you're going to go take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. If he's giving you, just give me the damn thing. Why do I have to do anything for it? Okay. But. Gifts from the Lord, okay? Yeah, they're not always, and I'm going to suggest very rarely, here, have a gift. You don't have to do nothing. We get, we get the Holy Spirit, yes? Mm -hmm. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you fail to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, most likely it's because the gift got taken away. There is this connection. Gifts of God, oh, they're fantastic. But they, they're, they're linked. Remember, love is linked to obedience. So God is going to go into the land. God is giving you. Yes. But there's another side of it as well. And when you have taken it over and are living there, so there, there is this implication that you are going to be successful. Now, whether this is from the redactor or not, this is actually back to Moses. Okay. Be sure that you obey the decrees and laws that I am, I am setting before you today. Okay. He doesn't tell you the reasons why not, but um, uh, I th this whole chapter has already given us a lot of reasons of things that happen um, if we if we fail. And it's a conditional covenant. No, it's a, it's a, it's a can you do this? I'll do this. You do this. I'll do this. As yeah. opposed to I don't remember what it's called, but. The structure of the Ten Commandments was Zitarian or something like that. The treaty form, it was a, it was a treaty um, that was commonly used in that day, but I can't remember what it was called right now. There are, um, there are, 
there, there are lot, the New Testament also con contains um, conditional statements. What does what are, what are some of the most obvious conditional statements that we have in the New Testament? It's in the Lord. One of them is in the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive me my sin. As how as we forgive our sins. Yeah. And uh, Jesus says, if you don't forgive people's sins, I won't forgive your sins. If you remain in me, then I'll remain in you. Right? You know, there's these, there's these uh, lots of conditional. In fact, John has, I think, the most, actually. Right. John's Gospels are the most conditional statements. Um, if, you, if you believe in me, you have the life. Correct. If you don't believe in me, you don't have the life of God. Correct. Yes. And, and, and God wants to come and dwell with us. But if you don't believe, how can I come and dwell? Right? Um, and so there, there, there is a few. Here, um, it, it is conditional. Be sure that you obey all the decrees and laws that I'm setting before you today. And what's the most important one? What's the first one? I love the Lord your God. I love the Lord your heart, your mind, and your spirit. God could have said anything. He could have said that. The, the, any 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 actual uh, request, but mm -hmm. the thing that is most desirable of the Lord from us, from His creation, is that He can engage in a loving relationship uh, right. with with mm -hmm. it, and uh, and this and this and this relationship is um, is reciprocal because the way. That, uh, that, that you can obviously show love for the Lord isn't just to say, oh, my heart's overwhelmed with love of the Lord. That's great. It's fantastic. I hope it is. Is, um, is to walk in his ways and to reflect his image and to, and to heal the world. The, um, the, one of the issues in Judaism, and there are many, in, in all faiths, but, but we're talking about the Judeo-Christian tradition, um, You've heard of the Kabbalah, yes? Yeah. They have picked up on a few verses um, where they'll, like, they'll read Genesis and they'll say, and God relent, relent, uh, uh, regretted making man. So they will come to the conclusion, oh, no, man is a mistake. God made a mistake. And we have the obligation to fix the mistake. And so we will help God fix the mistake. And they've, they've sort of taken the idea of the partnership relationship that we have with the Lord. Um, and they've run with it on a completely wrong level. But they've really gone nuts. There are, unfortunately, um, some Christian traditions that also do the same. Um, and, 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 but, but God even in the fallen state of man, still desires a loving relationship. He still desires to live with his people. He still desires uh, to send forth a blessing. He still desires to see the earth flourish and not be destroyed. He has destroyed the world, this is true, but it's not the, the, the desire of the Lord. God desires love. God is a God of love. His, his, his strongest desire is, is to love. And you can see it in the, in, the, in the Torah. And Moses is trying to hammer it home to the people that when they go in and they encounter false gods that they don't know, those gods do nothing for them. 
but they might be enticed to worship them. They might be enticed uh, to engage in most likely sexual practices and all kinds of crazy stuff. But, um, and they will miss out on love. They will miss out on uh, the protection that, the, that, that uh, uh, keeping the commandments can give. And they'll miss out uh, on, on, the very, on the very water of heaven. They'll miss out on, on heaven coming and touching the earth, uh, which is the thing that God really wants. And Moses is, is trying so hard to get the people to understand that, that commandments are real, tabernacles real, uh, the ark is real, man is real, miracles are real, angels are real, they're all real. But still, the essence is God wants your heart. God wants to live with you. God wants your, your love and obedience. The other stuff is good. Not going dis- to discount it. Never, never discount the real practical part of the Bible too. But uh, it's always been, been, been a hard issue. All right. Any other questions on, our, on this, this chapter? So this chapter, just in summary, this chapter brings in, um, again, love. This chapter has the longest Hebrew sentence in the entire Bible. Okay. Uh, th- th- this chapter is part of the Shema. Okay. It's part of the, 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 the prayer life. Um, th- th- this this uh, chapter continually reflects a lot of memory this chap- uh, that, that's placed on the people. This chapter brings in this incredible uh, uh, image of, of the land of Israel to be rather large, incredibly large, and, um, uh, and, uh, and links your success with morality. And it's very interesting if we look at our world today that uh, we're becoming incredibly immoral. And uh, this is dangerous for us. This is dangerous for our countries. Okay, uh, Bernardo has a raised hand. All right. Yes, I have a question. Go for it. So um, how or when or who changed the... The Shema into the rabbinic um, sentence that w- most people know about right now. Uh, which one do you mean? Like says uh, Shema Israel Yehovah Eloheinu okay. Yehovah Echad Baruch yeah. Shem Kevod. Okay, well the the uh, Baruch Shem. The second, the, the, like the set, yeah. second sentence. Yes, the second sentence is added. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know if that was there uh, in the early Second Temple period or late Second Temple period. The Second Temple period is five hundred years. Yes. So, so, so when people say, "Oh, we're talking about the Second Temple period," um, some parts of the Second Temple period actually occur after Yeshua. So, I think that the the phrase Baruch Shem Kavod Malchudo was added. It's not in the Bible. This is an mm-hmm. added blessing, yeah. which, which I think appears. Don't quote me on this, but I think you see it in Sefer Brachot. I'll have to look for it, which means it's about 100 years prior to Yeshua. The, the Shema, the full Shema, is, is, is uh, parts of Deuteronomy, two parts of Deuteronomy, and they tack on some numbers as well, I think. Isn't it? Right. Yes. And uh, and that and that is, is a, a, a rabbinic um, invention that doesn't make it wrong. Okay, quoting the Bible 
is, is not wrong. Most liturgies are literally just re, re, regurgitating the Bible. You see it in the Jewish prayer book, and you see it in, in uh, traditional church liturgies. Like for those of you who have actually been to Christchurch and, 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 and picked up a piece of paper, okay, we're all got holding on to pieces of paper, um, you, you have a look at what's actually prayed, 80 to 90% of it is a direct quote from the Bible. Because if you're going to say anything to God, you may as well use his own words, right? That, that way you're safe. <laughs> okay, that, that way you haven't actually made a theological boo-boo, you know? You've kind of just sort of said, this is what you are like, Lord. And God's like, yeah, I know that. I wrote it. You got anything else to add? Um, yeah, uh, You've got lots of time to have your own prayers too, but they always make sure that the community gets to, to tell, to, to regurgitate Bible. And it, it reflects the, the command that we talked about, uh, Bernardo, in this, in this text. Make sure that, that, you know, in the morning and in the evening, make sure this is on your lips. Make sure that, this is on, that the word of God is on your lips. And so you, you found ancient churches, which were just mimicking synagogues, said, this is a really good idea. Let's just quote Bible. And, um, and away they went. And, and, um, and, um, but there are, there are times to add prayers. We see it in the Siddur. We see it in the Jewish prayers. And you also see it in some, some Christian prayers. And I wouldn't say that they're inherently bad. It's just a, a thing. The, the Anglican Church likes prayers that have stood the test of time. So yeah, 1,500 years is not a bad qualification. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's, yeah. How long it's worked that long. And yeah, okay, we'll go with it. Yeah, we'll go with it. Yeah, well, no change there. Yeah. And they are. They're great prayers. Some of them uh, have really good, good meaning. Uh, Yes, and if we get to join in with, the, with our brothers and sisters that have born before us, which is fantastic. All right, guys. Well, thank you for a great study. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.